3: Log Talk Radio.
0: Show everybody. Oh man, it's get everything's gonna be serious these days. I don't think we're gonna have any fun on any topics at any point in the show, <laughs> which is upsetting and it's depressing. But you know we gotta do a show that reflects the reality of the moment. That's the whole point. So uh, obviously I will lead with the giant news happened two or three days ago, but President Trump threatening to deploy the U.S. military. I'll play that video for you. Then we have Joe Biden's response. We have um, some polling on what's happening in the country right now, and it is stunning. And I'd also go as far as to say it is massively contradictory. Just nothing but a pure contradiction slap in the face. Pat Robertson breaks with Donald Trump and doesn't agree with what he's doing, which is wild to see. Um, Tucker Carlson has been working overtime to defend the police and uh, Media Matters put together an amazing clip of what happens when you have his commentary spliced together with the thousand instances of police violence we've had in the past few days. So there's a lot of stuff to get to. Um, Let's go ahead and get started. President Trump threatened to deploy the U.S. military on the streets of America to stop demonstrations. Now, he says, no, no, I just want to stop the looters. I don't want to stop the peaceful protesters. I'm with the peaceful protesters. But if you believe that that's the case, I have a bridge to sell you. Because Trump gassed peaceful protesters near the White House in order to clear a path so he could do a photo op in front of a church holding a bible in order to get this picture he gassed peaceful protesters now that's not an opinion that's not up in the air there's not multiple interpretations of it that's exactly what happened we have it on camera so the guy who just gassed peaceful protesters is somehow going to bring in the military and the military will differentiate between the peaceful protesters and the looters and the rioters i don't buy it In fact. You talk to anybody in the military, or I shouldn't say anybody. You talk to many people in the military, and they will tell you, I've been trained to kill. My job is to kill. And now you want to deploy me on the streets of the U.S. to do something that's not in my job description, that I haven't been trained for, that I'm not equipped for, that I shouldn't be doing. So obviously this is, uh, you know, a giant issue... And I want to go ahead and show you part of his speech that he did before he had the peaceful protesters gassed, and then also you'll see some of the photo op. Let's take a look.
4: That is why I am taking immediate presidential action to stop the violence and restore security and safety in America. I am mobilizing all available federal resources, civilian and military, to stop the rioting and looting, to end the destruction and arson, and to protect the rights of law-abiding Americans, including your Second Amendment rights. Therefore, the following measures are going into effect immediately. First, we are ending the riots and lawlessness that has spread throughout our country. We will end it now. Today, I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. Mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. I am also taking swift and decisive action to protect our great capital, Washington, D.C. What happened in this city last night was a total disgrace. As we speak, I am dispatching thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers, military personnel, and law enforcement officers to stop the rioting, looting, vandalism, assaults, and the wanton destruction of property. We are putting everybody on warning our seven o'clock curfew will be strictly enforced. Those who threaten innocent life and property will be arrested, detained, and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law I want the organizers of this terror to be on notice that you will face severe criminal penalties and lengthy sentences in jail. This includes Antifa and others who are leading instigators of this violence. One law and order, and that is what it is. One law. We have one beautiful law.
3: law.
5: Wait.
0: Now, before we get into the more substantive stuff, let me say, I have no idea why he did that photo op. I mean, gassing peaceful protesters who are clearly peaceful, just so everybody understands, that's illegal. There's going to be no consequences because the people who are doing it are the authorities and they have badges and uniforms, but that's absolutely illegal. But going to do a photo op in front of a church, while holding a Bible, the thing that's so creepy about it is, we have a system right now, that's clearly functioning as an oligarchy, so we have an oligarch, authoritarian, theocrat now, it's like he's trying to, you know, become every negative political label, that exists, when you have, that, third so-called stimulus bill, the bailout bill for COVID-19, where it was just a giant giveaway, $5 trillion to corporations, and the American people got crumbs, they're struggling massively, but we let corporations and wealthy folks loot the treasury, and the Goldman Sachs lackey gets to determine where the money goes, so that's an oligarchy or a kleptocracy, that's just right corruption. We have that, now we have the president calling in the military authoritarianism, and also he's just throwing in theocracy to boot. Like, what what on earth popped into his mind where he thought, oh, I got an idea, let me pose holding a Bible. I mean, I guess the only thing I could come up with that would somehow put this in context is that he's trying to throw red meat out to the evangelical fundamentalist base that always votes Republican, to let them know, like, hey, I'm still your guy, and see, look at me, I'm doing something you like, huh? I'm in front of a church, I'm holding up a Bible, I'm I'm reinstating law and order, huh? So I guess that's what he's trying to do, but wow, was this a string of decisions that are absolutely unacceptable and, quite frankly, terrifying. So let's dive into the specifics of what he's trying to do here. I submit to you, here's what a reasonable conservative opinion would sound like. Oh, I despise the fact that there are rioters and looters. We have to stop the rioters and looters to protect the small businesses. By the way, we just learned that about 40% of small businesses could go bankrupt within a year because they weren't sufficiently bailed out. Like the big businesses were with the COVID-19 bailout, the Republicans capped that. So now, all of a sudden, the crocodile tears, oh, my God, small businesses. But before, you were willing to let them die. So it's a little tough to take it seriously. But for argument's sake, let's take it seriously. Here's a reasonable conservative opinion. We need more cops, or we need the National Guard, and they need to line up the sides of the streets to make sure that there's no more looting. Perfectly reasonable conservative opinion. In fact, I would, in part, agree with that. I'm not in favor of looting. I'm not in favor of rioting. Duh. That's like an obvious thing. It's like the overwhelming majority of people take that position. Here's not a reasonable conservative position, and I don't know if you could even call it conservative. It's just authoritarian. Let's deploy the U.S. military on the streets of the United States of America. That is rank authoritarianism. That's what that is. Now, by the way, the legal justification he's using is like the 1806 or 1807 Insurrection Act, which apparently was a law to stop slave rebellions. Now, I submit to you, that law on its face is massively unconstitutional and likely wouldn't stand up in court. But beyond that, apparently a plain face reading of the law says that the president can call in the military only if the states recommend it. So, even if you go by a plain face reading of the law, he's not applying it properly which gets to the heart of the matter, which is, this is rank authoritarianism. That's what this is. Now, this is a rare instance where other people in the military are saying, no, can't happen, not going to happen, this is insane. You had General Mattis come out and say, no, this is not something that we do. We're not supposed to be a totalitarian dictatorship, authoritarian police state. Um, Now, there are other issues where I've disagreed with Madison, agreed with Trump, like Syria. Trump said he wanted to get out of Syria. Madison said, I don't want to get out of Syria. There's issues where it goes the other way. But on this one, Madison is 100% correct. Also, Defense Secretary Mark Esper was like, no, that's not a good idea to deploy the U.S. military. Again, I've heard from people in the military, through the grapevine, no, this is not what we do. We're trained to kill. You don't deploy... The U.S. military domestically. And by the way, that's not me saying you should deploy it overseas all willy-nilly like we currently do. No. It should only be used for self-defense. But deploying it at home, just so everybody understands, that's not something that's supposed to be within the realm of reasonable discussion or debate or discourse. That's supposed to be out of bounds. Why? Very simply, the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Guys, deploying the U.S. military on streets in America, that's deeply against the First Amendment. Deeply against it. Why? Because the First Amendment, it protects our right to peacefully protest. And like I just explained to you, they're not going to differentiate. If the military is called in, they're not trained or able to, to distinguish and differentiate and say, no, 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 those people are being peaceful. Those people are not. We're going to go after those people. no to steal a phrase that Obama used early on in his term, you need a scalpel and you're using a hatchet. So make no mistake about it. If the U.S. military is called into U.S. streets, they would absolutely crack down on peaceful protests, which, let me reiterate, is unconstitutional. You can't do that. That's not allowed. That's not accepted. The whole point of the First Amendment is that that notion is off the table. Get it out of your mind. Don't even consider it. The the government cannot shut down peaceful protests. So now, again, let me reiterate something. When it comes to looting and rioting, I agree. Looting is bad. Rioting is bad. So if you're a conservative, call for more police and tell them to line up downtown uh, protecting the small businesses. End of discussion. Or go crazy and say, let's call in the National Guard. Now, some people would conflate the two and say, well, if you're calling in the National Guard, I don't understand. Why was calling in the military that much different or that much worse? very simply because the National Guard is also responsive to the states, and they are supposed to, there's precedent of them taking care of domestic emergencies. That's their job more so. When it comes to the U.S. military, that is not their job. That is not their job. So I'm gonna put this as, as plain as I can. You can either be in favor of the United States Constitution and be in favor of the First Amendment or you can be in favor of deploying the United States military on our streets here at home. You cannot have both. You cannot have both. So anybody who's defending the idea of deploying the U.S. military here at home because well, you, need, you need to have law and order, right? Okay, fair enough. But You're an authoritarian. Now, I'm not saying that as like a gotcha. I'm saying that as like just a plain face reading and common understanding of, of regular political science definitions. That is what you are if you support that. It's that simple. Again, you want to pull the law and order card and let's get tough on these people? Call for more cops, protect the small businesses, line them up, no looting, no rioting, only crack down on the people who engage in those activities. Totally reasonable opinion. Not reasonable at all. Let's call in the U.S. military under the Insurrection Act and let's occupy the streets of the United States of America. Absolutely not. Now, Over the past few days, there have been so many instances, not just of looting and rioting, but also of police initiating violence. If you don't believe me, go watch our segment from the last show, where they're brazenly, wantonly cracking down on peaceful protesters, and they don't care about the consequences. They're acting with impunity. So it's interesting how in this broader conversation happening at the national level, in elite circles, the only violence that's condemned and talked about as if it's unequivocally negative is the looting and the rioting. Now, again, I just said I agree, looting and rioting is bad. But why are we not also talking about the state violence? Violence is not magically more legitimate or on a higher moral plane because it's done by somebody with a uniform and a badge. That doesn't magically make it okay. The way this country is supposed to work is equality under the law. So justice is blind. If you commit a crime, you committed a crime, and you're going down for it. That's the way it's supposed to work. The way it works in reality is exactly what we saw like in the Zimbardo prison experiment, where you had people dress up, hey, these people are guards, these people are prisoners, and let's see what happens if we just let them loose for a couple weeks. And then what happened? All the prison guards became vicious, vicious authoritarians doing unethical and immoral things nonstop. And the prisoners kind of became meek and passive, and adopted the role of being a prisoner. So what we're seeing now is that police officers in the streets, in many, many instances, they think, I got a gun, I got a badge, I got a uniform, I am the law. What I do is, by definition, moral and just and correct. And they got nothing to say about that kind of violence. I haven't heard Dickie McGee's act about that kind of violence which is interesting because I think if it was right-wing protesters, like the Michigan protesters who went there armed at the Capitol, calling to open up the economy, I think that if there was any kind of violence against those protesters, oh my God, the conservatives would be up in arms. They'd be absolutely losing it. So I have to tell you guys, man, when it comes to the list of things that Trump has done that are the worst, this is in the top five, for sure. For sure. You can't, willy-nilly, on a random Monday, because you see a couple riots happening across the United States, come out there and say, you know, I kind of disagree with that whole First Amendment thing. Wouldn't it be great if we totally ignored that? That's not supposed to be on the table of things that are acceptable. Okay? That's not an option. That's not on the menu. Which is why even people who are otherwise wrong about a lot of stuff, military people, generals, even they're like, you have to be kidding me. This is deeply un-American, deeply un-American a thing to do. So I, I, have, I have zero tolerance on this issue. I have none. Because honestly, people who are defending this action, I don't even know what to call it. I don't know if it's rank ignorance. I don't know if it's, you know, they're petty authoritarians and it's partisanship because they think, oh, the looters and the rioters are left-wingers, and it's Antifa, so it's justified to, to bend the law and bend the Constitution in order to crack down on the bad people who need to be cracked down on. I don't know what it is that's going on in their minds, but I don't care because they're wrong. And the thing that frustrates me, I don't get frustrated. I don't get mad at reasonable disagreement. I really don't. You know, I think there are reasonable discussions to be had as to what is the proper response in this instance. And there's a wide array of viewpoints that I'd listen to, I'd hear out, and even if I might not agree with it, I'd think, yeah, but that's a reasonable disagreement. To, to threaten to call in the U.S. military in a situation like this is beyond unacceptable. And I have to tell you, we'll talk more about this later, but there is zero equivalence between Biden and Trump on this issue. None. None. Is it possible that Biden would maybe do the standard conservative thing of like, hey, we're going to have a bigger police presence or we're going to call in the National Guard? He might do that, sure. I mean, look at Standing Rock, look at you know, other things that happened under the Obama administration that do show a propensity towards a standard right-wing view. What Trump is doing is not a standard right-wing view. It is rank authoritarianism. And you can add it to the list of things that are wildly unconstitutional, that we allow, like torture and like Guantanamo Bay. The first thing I reference when I'm asked, why do I love this country? The very first thing I reference is the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. We are unique in our case law and our history and our repeated defense of free speech, freedom of religion, and free protest. We are unique in the world in how good we are on those issues. You send in the U.S. military to quell demonstrations? You even threaten it with the Insurrection Act? No. Totally unacceptable. I think it's a game changer. I, think this is, I was 98% sure I'm not going to vote for Biden because I did the calculation and I said he doesn't meet my standards. I've already loosened my standards twice. I might loosen it three times. Because I cannot sit by while Trump threatens the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Think of the precedent this sets. And as somebody told me, okay, let's say Trump doesn't do it this time, and he just threatened to use the Insurrection Act. What happens the next time? What happens the next time? See, Trump has something that Biden doesn't have, which is, I call Biden a predictable evil. I know exactly what he's going to give us. I know the exact kind of status quo nonsense he's going to shove down our throats. But Trump, every now and then, throws in a curveball of unknown evil. Like when I woke up one day and uh, I learned we assassinated a top Iranian general and were on the brink of war over freaking night. And I said, oh my God, that was one of those moments where I was like, we got to get this guy out no matter what. Now, at the time, I believe Bernie was like, doing really well, so it was like, oh great, we'll replace him with Bernie, wonderful. Now, that's obviously not an option. But, like, that was one of those instances when I was like, no, 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 no. There's zero equivalence between this dude and anybody else. It's like, zero. That is, you assassinated a top Iranian general willy-nilly as if that's a thing that should or can happen. or you don't, They don't even understand the consequences of their actions. This is another one of those moments. And I'm not even the slightest bit overstating it. You do not threaten to deploy the U.S. military on U.S. streets. Period period. You don't do that. That's authoritarianism. That's unconstitutional. That's against the First Amendment. And might I say, there's a supreme irony of giving a speech and saying, I'm the law and order president, as you're threatening to override the supreme law of the land. Trump is threatening to break the law. Because it is unconstitutional to send in the U.S. military and deploy them on U.S. streets. For a job they're not supposed to do, not capable of, and would end up effectively silencing all protests and demonstrations. It's the same irony of police brutality sparks these protests and riots and looting and all that stuff. And the response from the police is more police brutality. Oh my God, police brutality is so bad. Everybody get out there in the streets and the police go, Let's, I can't wait to prove you guys right and be more violent. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. And the law and order president, Donald Trump, is saying, I will break the supreme law of the land and deploy the U.S. military on U.S. soil. It's a game changer. I went from 98% sure I'm not going to vote for Biden to now I'm 50-50. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Because this I cannot stand. This I cannot abide. This is not just normal, regular, schmegular bad. This is next level. Okay, next. So Joe Biden responded to Trump... When Trump threatened to use the military against U.S. citizens. Let's see what he had to say.
1: In addition to the Bible, the President might also want to open the U.S. Constitution once in a while. If he did, he'd find a thing called the First Amendment. And what it says in the beginning it says the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition their government for a redress of grievances. That's kind of an essential notion built into this country. Mr.
0: President, that's America. I mean, 90% of the time I cover Joe Biden, I'm beating up on him on this show. But this response is exactly correct, and it's exactly what I would have said had I been running for president against Donald Trump. You're you're doing something or you're threatening to do something that's supposed to be off the table. The whole point of having a right is that it's non-negotiable. It's off the table. It's not a thing you can question. It's not a thing you can tweak. It's effectively set in stone. That's the whole idea of having a constitution. That's the whole idea of having rights. So when we have a First Amendment and it protects freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom to peacefully protest. And Trump says, "I'm going to call in the US military to quell the demonstrations." Now he says, "Oh my god, I'm only going to go after the looters and the rioters." That's nonsense. We just saw him gas peaceful protesters to do a photo op. That's how much he cares about not going after peaceful protesters is that he just did it to get a photo op with the Bible. I have a bridge to tell you if you actually believe the military is going to be called in and they're going to stand by as there's a bunch of peaceful protests going on. No. They're going to say, everybody get off the damn streets. And as Trump said, when you start looting, we start shooting. So he's threatening to declare war on the United States of America. That's what this is. It's the death of the First Amendment. It's a police state. It's an authoritarian action. I know they got a bunch of idiots on the Democratic side who are insanely hyperbolic And they've been wrong about everything to this point. They freaked out about things that were made up like Russiagate. And the problem is, it's the boy who cried wolf. They already blew their outrage load. And then here we are. And now nobody believes them when they say, oh, my God, this is, like, different. Well, no, no, no. See, I have been clear all along. I've called out the BS when there has been BS on the Democratic side. I was against Russiagate. I'm against the fake scandals. But I'm here to tell you. This one is different. You do not threaten to deploy the U.S. military on U.S. streets, period. That is deeply against the First Amendment. That's deeply unconstitutional. That's totally unacceptable. It's not supposed to be in the realm of discourse. This is why you have even people who I otherwise disagree with on almost everything, like James Mattis and and Mark Esper, the defense secretary, they were like, uh, no. Think about that. The defense secretary, who's part of the Trump administration, undermine trump it was like i that's no this is crazy like that's insane so i have to tell you guys you know my whole spiel and my purity test and my litmus test and what my calculation was when it came to how i vote i started out by saying biden needs to i need to be convinced that biden is going to fight for one or two of my top five issues Medicare for All, Free College, Living Wage, and the War, UBI. And the war's UBI. I need to be convinced Biden will fight for one or two of those for him to get my vote. Now the closest he came was he says he's for a living wage. Simply put, I don't believe him. Okay? He didn't do anything about that when he was vice president under the years of Obama. We didn't get a minimum wage increase. And he just recently came to it and he only talked about it like two or three times. It's obvious it's just window dressing and he's not gonna do anything about it, I think. Okay? So we failed that, and I think that's super lenient, that test I have. Like, really? You can't be for one or two of my top five issues when those issues are, like, the defining features of what it means to be on the left? Like, that's our platform, you know what I mean? So, but then I said, all right, listen, I understand how bad Trump is. I understand this is, like, a very unique time in history, and it's a very important election and all that stuff. If you pick Bernie or Nina for VP, I'll vote for you, even though I'm still not convinced you're going to do any of my top issues. And obviously, he's not going to pick Bernie or Nina. That one was a total shot in the dark. It was just me expressing something that he could do to get my vote. That's not going to happen. Then it became, okay, well, Bernie has the opportunity to get me to vote for Biden. How? By basically drawing some red lines and saying, listen, here's a list of executive orders I want. You have to promise to do them within the first 100 days. If you don't agree to that, I'm not going to campaign for you. I'm going to sit it out. If you do agree to that... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to get you elected. Now, my guess is, and I'm just guessing here, it's all speculation. Biden knows he needs that 30% to make up the Bernie voters. That's why they're doing the task forces and all the dress-up and the kabuki theater to try to get people to vote for him. So my guess is Biden would have came back and said, listen, Bernie, I see your list of 10 executive orders. I think that these five I can't do. I think they're too extreme for me, but I can do these five. Or maybe I can do these three, whatever it might be. And in that, those, you know, I trust Bernie's policy chops, so I'm sure there would have been stuff on that list that I could have really held on to as a tangible, like maybe taking marijuana off the scheduled substances list, effectively legalizing it. That probably would have been enough to get my vote. There's a bunch of stuff he could have done that were tangible that could have gotten me to vote for him. That's gone, too, because Bernie didn't do that. So that's why I was 98% certain. Like, no, I'm not going to vote for Biden. He doesn't meet even my very, very lenient standards. But now I feel like the game changed, and being totally honest with you guys, walking you through my thought process, now I'm 50-50 as to whether or not I vote for him. And the reason I say that is, it actually may be the case that the stakes are, this guy is against the First Amendment of the United States Constitution and wants to effectively eliminate it by deploying the U.S. military on U.S. soil. That's Trump. And Biden, even if you grant that he's bad on this issue and he would deploy more police or he would deploy the National Guard. That is categorically different and not nearly as bad as deploying the U.S. military on U.S. soil. That is not a destruction of the First Amendment. And that, my friends, is a giant, crucial difference where there is no equivalence between the two candidates. You want to talk about equivalences between the two candidates? Let's do it. They're both massively corrupt. They're both war criminals. They're both accused of sexual assault. Okay, We can go on and on here. They're both uh, warmongers who are going to perpetuate the wars. There's no doubt about that. They're both, they both uphold the status quo and are beholden to Wall Street. There's no doubt about that. I'm not, I'm not going into this with any illusions. I know exactly what Joe Biden is. I know exactly what he's going to give me. But now if you tell me, this dude might destroy the First Amendment, and this one won't, well, now the calculation changed, and now I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Because the thing that's holding me back is that I still believe I'm responsible indirectly for what Biden does as president. So let's say I vote for Biden and then Biden wages a new war or escalates one of our current wars or does what Obama did with the increase the drone strikes and have a 90 percent civilian death rate. If Joe Biden did that, I feel morally responsible for the deaths of those people because I supported the guy who then did that. I'm not directly responsible, but I'm indirectly responsible, and I have a hard time with that on my conscience. So that's still the thing that's holding me back where I can't say for sure I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. But I'll tell you something. Today is a hell of a lot different than the day before because I seriously believe the stakes are Trump wants to effectively ignore the First Amendment and set up a terrible precedent that might be backed by the courts, by the way, and Biden doesn't want to do that. As bad as Biden is, he's not going to destroy the First Amendment. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So that's where we are now, man. And I have to say, literally the first thing that I talk about when people ask me why I love this country is the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That's the best part of this country. The fact that we have freedom of speech, the fact that we have freedom of religion, the fact that we have freedom to peacefully protest, that's the best thing about this country. It is literally the first thing I talk about when I say why I love this country. And now, I wholeheartedly believe Donald Trump is threatening that. And like I already said, even if he doesn't do it this time and it was an empty threat to use the Insurrection Act to deploy the U.S. military on U.S. soil, what about the next time? These unknown surprises he drops on us, like killing the Iranian general out of nowhere and now threatening the First Amendment of the Constitution, I do believe that's a game changer. Now, I will say this, no matter what I end up doing and at the moment now I don't know what I'm going to do, but whatever I end up doing, I maintain my belief that I can only explain to you guys what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. So, you'll never get you'll never get voter shaming from me. If anybody understands how how useless and arrogant and obnoxious and condescending voter shaming is, it's me. Because I've always been on the receiving end of that, and I think it's just so stupid. So you obviously will never get that from me. But suffice to say, I'm at a point where I don't know what I'm going to do anymore when before I was very sure I knew exactly what I was going to do. But Trump really changed the game by declaring he wants to effectively end the First Amendment. That's simply not something I can stand by and just watch willy-nilly. So... This is my thought process, you know, I I, I gotta be totally honest with you guys all the time. Some of you might not like this. Hey man, it is what it is, I don't know what to tell you. These are the exact thoughts that went on in my mind as I was watching all this unfold. So, I know that there are some people out there whose calculation also changed. You can only roll with the punches and go with the current evidence that you have. You know, that's all you can do when you're making a decision and evaluating it. Everything's not stagnant. Politics is a fluid situation. So the more stuff changes, the more we have to reevaluate, and that's where I'm at at the moment, and I still can't believe top five worst things Trump has ever done, we're witnessing it, and it kind of bugs me that a lot of people don't seem to be grasping the gravity of the situation. Okay. next. So Joe Biden gave a speech in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, um, and he instantly shoved his foot in his mouth. He instantly shoved his foot in his mouth. Watch this.
1: by the way, there are a lot of people over one of these African Americans who were victimized, shot, and a lot of other people were shot and killed in the Hispanic community and the white community. And the idea that instead of standing there and teaching a cop it's an unarmed person coming at him with a knife and shooting the leg instead of the heart is a very different thing. There's a lot of different things that can change.
0: Okay, let me explain why this is a terrible thing to say. (laughs) George Floyd didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't a threat to the cops at all. So why are we having a conversation about what the cops should do if there's a genuine threat against them? I don't know why we're having that conversation at the moment, because there was no threat against them. The real conversation we should be having is, what do we do about wanton, over-the-top police violence? That's the conversation we should be having. How do we hold police accountable when they do something wrong? That's the conversation we should be having. And I will always bring up on this show, in the context of these stories, Campaign Zero. Because I think Campaign Zero absolutely nailed it when it comes to the solutions that they're calling for. I've gone through them a million times on the show, but just to give a few, you have like, civilian review boards that are above the cops that get to evaluate their actions, body cameras on all cops, no exceptions, under penalty of law, special prosecutors. Like, there are very clear-cut things you could do in order to fix the issue of police brutality. Joe, that's the conversation that we need to be having. Now, listen, now I'll say something that might be slightly controversial, but here goes. In a situation where there's somebody who's a genuine threat to an officer... Does it make sense to shoot them in the leg instead of killing them and shooting them in the heart or the head or whatever? Yes. Yes. So it's not that – I don't think that what he's saying is necessarily wrong. I just think he's having the wrong conversation. And to have the conversation about the legitimate use of police force in this moment obfuscates the issue that we're having right now, which is that's not the conversation. The conversation is what do you do when there's wanton police violence and there's no accountability and they're the thugs and they're the criminals? What do you do in those instances? What do you have to say about that issue, Joe? And see, that's the point. The point is, I think like an old-school kind of Democrat, a neoliberal corporatist, a status quo defender, they're unable to even admit that there are instances of cops flat out being the bad guy. When you put your knee on somebody's neck, and you do it for nine minutes as he screams, I can't breathe, there's no ambiguity in that. There's no up-in-the-air question. The conversation isn't, let's talk about legitimate police use of violence. That an illegitimate use of violence. So talk about police illegitimately using force. That's the conversation, Joe. But on that, he's probably totally gone and doesn't have any solutions. So, you know, it's just, it's so tone deaf to the moment. And it's so, you know, it's like what we see with, on, with Joe on economic issues. It's like you have... Or, or health care issues. You have this health care crisis, and he's like, you know, we really should expand Obamacare. 43 million people, up to that many people, are losing their health insurance because they're losing their jobs. Expanding Obamacare ain't going to cut it, dog. You need Medicare for all. But that's what it's like. It's just a total lack of understanding the gravity and the weight of the situation. And it's pathetic to see. But here we are. Okay, next. So, I want to give everybody some new poll numbers on how Americans feel about this current moment. I really think that this is fascinating. So, first we go to a Morning Consult National poll. They asked calling in the U.S. military to supplement city police forces. Support 58%, oppose 30%. Now, let's pause on that and reflect on that for a second. Listen, this is one of those instances where And I don't mean this disrespectfully. I mean this as just a plain observation. The ignorance of Americans to constitutional law is really, really, really clouding their judgment. Like I said before, the reasonable conservative opinion is, hey, increase police uh, presence out there, have them line up downtown to protect the businesses so that there's no more looting, you know, or bring in the National Guard if you want to go really crazy. Like, that's the reasonable conservative opinion like law and order but through an avenue where there's case law and precedence and you're not stepping on the constitution an unreasonable opinion and it's no longer even just conservative it's flat-out authoritarian is to call in the u.s military to occupy u.s streets that's rank authoritarianism that's against the first amendment that's unconstitutional that's unacceptable That's not the kind of country anybody should want to live in because, by the way, if you say, and I I suppose if you ask your question, hey, American people, do you believe in freedom? My guess is they'll be like, well, absolutely. Okay, well, just so you know, when you call in the U.S. military on U.S. streets and have them try to enforce the law, you no longer live in a free country. And they're not capable of differentiating and distinguishing between who's peaceful and who's a looter. If the U.S. military is called in, they will simply... Shut down protests across the board. Okay? And by the way, they're also just trained to kill. That's what they're trained to do. That's who you want deployed on U.S. streets? Shouldn't want them really deployed on any streets, unless we're being threatened with imminent danger. But that's who you want on U.S. streets? So I just think that this is one of those instances where it's like, oh, okay. So you guys don't really know what this entails. And you don't know the door that we're opening up if we go down this road. Now, so that's creepy and not good, but then look at this next poll. This is interesting. This is um, from Monmouth. Do you think the anger that led to these protests are justified? 78% say justified. 78% not justified, only 18%. That is stunning. That's so overwhelming. But then get this, given the events around George Floyd, including the Burt, or excuse me, given the events around George Floyd, including the burning on a police precinct, is justified 54%, not justified, 38%. I am absolutely, positively, 100%, without a doubt, floored by that. 54% of Americans are saying burning a police precinct is justified as a result of what happened to George Floyd. What? (laughs) What? What? I mean, listen, I've never seen better evidence that in some ways the American people are like, viva la revolution, baby, let's do it. But again, the reason why we're covering this story is because this is so contradictory, man. It's so contradictory. 58% deployed the military to restore order, and 54% burned down the police precinct. (laughs) What? So presumably there was some overlap there. Like some people were like, I want the military to restore order and I want to burn down a police precinct. (laughs) Okay, so really my, my main takeaway here is that, and I think this is important, people are just confused at the moment. People are just confused. People are looking for answers. They don't really know what's going on. They don't really know how to address it. They're a bundle of mixed emotions and mixed feelings. They see these protests and they go, well, that's totally understandable because George Floyd was murdered and we saw it. It was kind of like a modern-day lynching. That's unacceptable. Those guys need to be found guilty. But then they see the looting and the rioting, and they're also probably a little bit creeped out by that. And they're like, I can't – no, that's not okay. Bring in the military to stop them. But also, I guess, burn down the police department. What? They're, they're just totally confused. And listen, what I would say is – unfortunately this, unfortunately, this isn't really getting talked about much. And that's depressing and that's upsetting. I'm going to pull it up again um, for everybody. But could have been done instead of this, you know, tough guy, law and order, macho man approach coming from the government. What could have been done is, first of all, Nancy Pelosi can call an emergency session of Congress and say, we're immediately addressing police brutality. We're immediately addressing it. And here's what we're going to pass through the House of Representatives and This is giving the movement something substantive where they go, oh, okay, so there's not so much paralysis in our system that we can't fix anything because we're being shown now, if you put enough pressure, we will fix something. So imagine Nancy Pelosi called a special session of Congress and passed through the House of Representatives at least two or three of the policy proposals from campaign zero. I'll go through them again. Number one, end broken windows policing. Number two, have community oversight of the police. Number three, strictly limit the use of force. Number four, independently investigate and prosecute. Bring in a special prosecutor instead of having the nepotism and the buddy-buddy chumminess between the prosecutor and the cops, and then he's not going to go after them. They're not going to go after them. Have community representation in police departments. Have body cameras on all cops, no exceptions, The penalty of law if they turn it off. Have new training that emphasizes de-escalation. End for-profit policing, that one's a no-brainer. Demilitarize the police, that one's a no-brainer. Have fair police union contracts that don't protect them come hell or high water. And I'll add on top of this, end the drug war. End the drug war, which really kind of green lights the harassment of people in poor communities and communities of color. If Nancy Pelosi passed a bill that ended the drug war through the House, or she passed a bill of community oversight of all police, or she passed a bill of body cameras on all police and you can't turn it off a penalty of law, you get a year in prison, no ifs, ends, or buts about it. If she did that, you don't think that the movement would start to appreciate the gesture? You don't think that there would be a, a reaction in kind? I think it would almost certainly limit or eliminate the violence. Now, some people would say, no, 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 these people are not rational actors. They're out there in the streets doing violence. There's nothing you can do. There's no appeasing them. Nonsense. You want to know how I know that? They didn't start rioting and looting all willy-nilly on a random Tuesday when nothing was happening. They did it specifically because of what happened to George Floyd. You know what that means? Agree or disagree with their actions, we know what sparked it. We know what caused it. If police brutality caused it, then addressing police brutality can help ameliorate it. Doing something to try to stop the next George Floyd situation from happening can ameliorate it. That's how I know. Don't buy into this nonsense of like, oh, it's just random mob violence that can't be controlled in any way, shape, or form, and it's just amorphous anger and people who are, you know, misfits and rejects of society. Nonsense! There absolutely is a way to quell the current situation, but nobody's thinking rationally about it, and also our government is so corrupt and so useless that they're incapable of even beginning to have that conversation. Nancy Pelosi's response to Trump was to hold up a Bible and give her own speech and quote from the Bible to try to burn Trump. Do something substantive! Do something substantive! Now, beyond that, listen, I think part of what's feeding into this is not just what happened to George Floyd, although that's a huge part of it, but everybody in the country is hurting. God damn it, we have over 20% unemployment at the moment. It's probably 30% unemployment at the moment. These are Great Depression numbers. The second that... The pandemic is officially over, and they start allowing evictions and foreclosures. We're going to have a crisis the likes of which we've never seen before. So if you want to address people around the streets for a variety of reasons, but God damn it, you need to do a UBI and you need to do Medicare for All. You have to do it now. You have to do it now. So this is how you substantively address it. Instead, what did they do? The Democrats are doing their little kabuki theater pretending, oh, look, I'm marching with some protesters. Aren't I great? No, you didn't do anything to fix it. No, you're not great. And what is Trump doing? Let me call in the U.S. military and destroy the First Amendment and deploy the U.S. military on U.S. streets. Hell no. Hell no. So, listen, those are the answers, but people are not talking about the answers. Now there's just debates about, well, what about the protest tactics and looting and rioting and all that stuff, and what should the government do in response to stop that? So now the conversation is not about how do we ameliorate the underlying ills that led to this. The conversation is, Just how do we stop this? And the answer the government's using now is brute force. The United States government is having a crisis of legitimacy. You don't respond to that with further illegitimate actions. There was a protest sparked by police brutality. And the police response was more police brutality. Donald Trump gives a speech saying, I'm the law and order president. And then he goes on to announce he will ignore the supreme law of the land, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and deploy the U.S. military on U.S. streets. You can't be the law and order person and then say, I'm against the Constitution, which is effectively what he said. You're responding to a crisis of legitimacy by saying, oh, we're totally illegitimate. That's what we are if you wanna respond to the crisis of legitimacy properly, you pass UBI, you pass Medicare for all, you address police brutality substantively with policy proposals that'll stop the next George Floyd from happening. But they're so corrupt and they're so stupid that this conversation that we're having is nowhere to be found. And unfortunately, think about the fact that people watching the current political moment, they have to turn to an idiot loudmouth YouTube host to get some truth on the matter. That's how far we've fallen. Let me go listen to the YouTube guy in order to get some sense on this. I take no pride in that and I feel no joy in that. We gotta get these ideas out there. We have to fix it. And unfortunately, the people are proving now, we don't have the paralysis anymore. We've shaken off the chains, and we're no longer buying into the propaganda. We're out there in the streets. But Trump and the Republicans and the Democrats, they're still in paralysis mode because they're both corrupt and stupid. Okay. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I got Pat Robertson. Don't go anywhere. Stay right there. We'll be right back with that and much much, much more.
4: I'm back, bitch.
0: I'm back, and I'm just getting started. I'm back, and I'm just getting started. Okay. This next story is just going to surprise you. That's all I can say about it to give you a little tease. It's going to surprise you because it absolutely surprised me. Totally out of left field. Maybe a little bit in a good way. Here we go. Pat Robertson has seemingly mellowed in his old age. Um, I don't know how old he is now, but I think he's about 107. And, you know, when he was 103, he was a hard ass. But now he's 107, and he's like, you know, I think I'm going to become a little bit less conservative. So uh, here he is. He turned on Trump over what he's doing about protests and riots.
2: Welcome to the 700 Club. Is it a time for love, or is it a time for war? You know, there's a purpose of everything under heaven we read in the Bible, and there's a time, and it seems like now is the time to say, I understand your pain, I want to comfort you, I think it's time we love each other. But the president took a different course. He said, I am the president of law and order. And he issued a heads-up. He said, I'm ready to send in military troops if the nation's governors don't act to quell the violence that has rocked American city. Matter of fact, he spoke of them as being jerks. You just don't do that, Mr. President. It isn't cool.
0: Wait, what was that part? Hold I'm on.
2: I'm ready to send in military troops. If the nation's governors don't act to quell the violence that has rocked American city, matter of fact, he spoke of them as being jerks. You just don't do that, Mr. President. It isn't cool. Well, the question is, does the president have the authority to call out the troops? Uh, what, what do we have, the Posse Comitatus Act, I and mean, how do you do it? You got to go all the way back to pre-Civil War days to find an ordinance to give him that authority. Love born another. the Bible says. God is love, and he that lives in love lives in God, and God in him. We've got to love each other. We just have to do that. And uh, people say, well, what about race? Well, uh, God made us all. Let's face it, we all came from one family. If you read the Bible, Adam and Eve, and all the races came from them. And uh, so uh, we, we were one race and we may have different skin color and different shape of our eyes, but we're one, and it's time we recognize that when you go into these other cultures, you see such wonderful people, you see such loving people, you see people who care for their families, and it's not just something that's unique to the white race, it's to all of us. We're all one race, and we need to love each other, and uh, we cannot let outside agitators uh, on the dark side of our humanity. We just can't
0: do it. That was shocking. That was shocking. That's about as good as you're going to get from Pat Robertson. So, what's fascinating to me is that right after George Floyd was killed, everybody said the same thing. Even Ted Cruz, even Rush Limbaugh, everybody was like, okay, yeah, Yeah, that's uh, that's a bad cop, and that's murder, and all the dudes who did it should be arrested immediately. I was kind of floored at the fact that it was completely across-the-board agreement. So I think in some ways, what happened to George Floyd, still in Pat Robertson's mind, and he sees Trump reacting in the way he's reacting, when he thinks the, the core of everything is what happened to George Floyd, so why are you not being more understanding of that? That's what it strikes me like he's trying to get at here. But what I find interesting is the way in which he turned on Trump, because the first thing he brought up is basically the argument that if there was ever a time to sound presidential and unifying, it's right now. So in other words, in a moment like this, you don't fan the flames of the disagreements. You don't unnecessarily crack down. And that's what he's doing. So Pat Robertson wanted Trump to sound like presidential and unifying, and Trump sounded more divisive, which gets to a key point that I've been telling you guys for a long time, which is in relatively standard times, the role of populist bomb thrower is actually really popular. But when you're in a national crisis, and now we have multiple national crises, all of a sudden populist bomb thrower appears petty. And it appears like not prepared for the moment, not like a calming, steady hand of leadership. So it's interesting that that now, even Pat Robertson is at the point where he's like, I don't know, dog. And then he right, rightly points out, well, you, just, you don't do that. You don't send the military into the United States of America. And in order to find some legal justification, he had to go all the way back to the 1806 or 1807 Insurrection Act, which was to put down slave rebellions. Like, that's what you're going to do? This is what you're going to do. And as I've pointed out a million times, and I think Pat Robertson on some level understands, the military isn't trained to do domestic policing. They're not trained to differentiate between who's peaceful and who's a rider or looter or whatever. This is an instance of you're supposed to be using a scalpel and you're going to use a hatchet. These people are trained to kill. They're not supposed to be deployed domestically ever. You shouldn't even deploy them overseas unless it's absolutely vital and necessary in a case of self-defense, but definitely shouldn't deploy them domestically. They're saying, no, don't do that. General Mattis was like, what? are you crazy? Absolutely not. Uh, Defense Secretary Mark Esper was like, no, this isn't an option on the table. This isn't a thing. That's okay. This is like anathema to everything we're supposed to believe in. It's against the First Amendment. It's against the Constitution. And now we're at the point where even a theocrat like Pat Robertson. Notice, the photo op with the Bible didn't make Pat Robertson go, oh, good, he's doing it for Jesus. Pat Robertson was still like, well, ho, 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 you're going to send the military into U.S. streets? You're going to You're going to send the military? you're going to give a speech talking about law and order? Come on, man. Come on. Crystal Ball made an interesting point about this on Joe Rogan's podcast. She said, I know it sounds corny, but imagine if instead of Trump calling the press conference and doing the law and order thing, and I'm going to send the military to crack down, imagine he went out there and he took a knee. And then, I don't know, you do it for the full nine minutes she said, like the police officer did to George Floyd. And then he gets up and he says, I stand in solidarity with all the protesters. What happened to George Floyd was wrong. We want to see justice brought in that case. All of them have been charged, but more importantly, we want to stop the next George Floyd situation from happening, which is why I'm proposing the National Police Reformation Act or something. And in it, you put some of the campaign zero ideas that I keep harping away on on this show. Body cameras on all police, no exceptions, can't turn them off under penalty of law. Civilian review boards, special prosecutors in all instances of police brutality. Imagine Trump proposed a piece of legislation that had like two or three pieces of really strong police reform in there. And he took a knee, he said solidarity with the protesters, and then he says, here's what we're going to do. I think you're out of your mind if you think that wouldn't impact. The protesting and the rioting. First of all, 98, 99% of the protesters are peaceful anyway. It's only 1% or 2% that are, that are not peaceful. Okay? But beyond that, it would absolutely quell the violence. You know how I know that? What well, led to the violence in the first place? Police brutality. It's not like people randomly decided, let's, on a random Tuesday, let's go burn everything down. Nobody did that. It was directly sparked by the police brutality. So you know how you address that? By doing legislation against police brutality. People don't have fucking cinder blocks where their head is supposed to be. They're not that unreasonable. So do that and watch what happens, and it would have worked out. And then, of course, we can get into what you really should do is get to the root of what's causing economic despair and degradation as well, which is we're in a new economic depression. We have COVID-19. You need UBI. You need Medicare for all. They haven't done that. But all he needed to really do, I think, to quell a lot of this, take a knee and then say, hey, here's the reform that I'm proposing – But he didn't do that. He went in the other direction, and it's only going to make it worse. And it's also deeply unconstitutional, non-American, and here we are. Even Pat Robertson turned on you, bro! He was your boy! (laughs) So here we are. Um, Very rare. I think in Pat Robertson's entire history, I've agreed with him two or three times. I think one time he randomly said, like, we should legalize marijuana. Everybody was like, what? Pat Robertson said that? (laughs) And then there was, like, one other time where he was like sympathetic to trans people, and everybody was speculating, like, what, what's going on, bro? What, why, why are you all of a sudden sympathetic to trans people? Because he's obviously vicious towards gay people, so it's like, it's just strange. But anyway, um, this is an area where I think he's correct, and I'm not big on the whole, like, oh, you need to sound presidential, you need to sound unifying. So that's not my criticism. My criticism is more, you cannot send the U.S. military or even threaten to send the U.S. military into U.S. cities. That's beyond the pale and unconstitutional. Okay, next. I really, really like this video put together by Media Matters. Credit to them for putting this together. This is, this is such an amazing compilation of what Fox News is saying now about peaceful protests, now that there's some riots out there, and what they said previously about peaceful protests. Namely, when Colin Kaepernick peacefully protested about the issue of police brutality. So let's see how quickly they flip when they see, hey, there's actually some people out there who are quite unreasonable in how they want to address this. Colin Kaepernick was reasonable. So let's see you flip your standard in an instant.
5: Peaceful protests, frankly, my mind justifiable, understandable. Peaceful protest is the hallmark of a free society. We all know that. And and the people that want to peacefully protest, I'm all for it. I'd be out there protesting, too. You did own a professional football team. What would you do with Colin Kaepernick? I don't think I'm going to tell you what I do. You don't stand up in the middle of our workplace and start creating chaos as we get by. Like they're not creating chaos. You know, that's chaos. So why is this a big deal? Why is it in the end dangerous for this country? These acts of protest are beyond disrespectful. Uh, he's trying to make a point, but I don't think he's making it the correct way. I think what he's doing is very bad for the spirit of the country. Just because something is legal doesn't mean you ought to do it.
0: Colin Kaepernick gives money to terrorists using the excuse of Black Lives Matter or some other issue that they they probably haven't even read up on. They just repeat whatever Colin Kaepernick says on any given day. So look at look at the people he's donated money to. These are radicals
5: in many cases, very anti-American. Uh, ethnocentrically racist, black organization, and again, built on a life. It is a myth that police are brutalizing black people at some epidemic rate. He acts like he's standing up with Black Lives Matter. There was one, I don't know, I've never been able to confirm this. I looked earlier today that he might have converted to Islam in the offseason. So what are these protests really about? Well, some players claim their core complaint is police brutality. In which case, fine, protest that. Learn the facts, make your case, propose solutions, run for office. Try to make the country better. But no, that's too hard. It's easier to follow the demagogues and attack America
0: itself. But it wasn't an attack on America. If you were willing to listen to what he was saying, it was to bring attention to a problem that needs to be solved. See, and and I think this is such a disingenuous argument when people use it on the right or the left. Whenever people try to, you know, categorize criticism as, oh, you just don't like the country. No, because inherent in the criticism is the idea that I would like to make the country better. So if you're trying to make the country better, presumably you like the country enough to try to change it, to try to fix it. It's like, you know, you're a parent and your kid is doing crack behind an Arby's, and you criticize and you say, we're going to get you some help and you're not going to do this anymore. Nobody would respond to you and say, well, I guess you don't like your kid then. I'm trying to help my kid! I'm trying to help my kid! By the same token, when I peacefully protest, I'm trying to help the country! I'm criticizing because I want to fix it! I forget who said it, it might have been Thomas Jefferson, but dissent is the highest form of patriotism. But since it's, it's such a partisan, convenient, weaselly little shit of an argument to be like... Well, the reason why Colin Kaepernick is protesting the American flag is because he doesn't like America, and that's why he's doing it. Are you really intellectually satisfied with that answer? If there are people out there that are intellectually satisfied with that answer, I want to be nice to you, I want to be kind, but in all seriousness, you're just not that smart. Like, you really think that I'm I'm going to kneel because I hate America. He's trying to improve the country! That's what he's trying to do. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. So... Look at the hypocrisy. So now that there's looting, now that there's rioting, and let me be clear, by the way, I'm against looting, I'm against rioting. I, don't think, it's, I think it's counterproductive, and I also think it's immoral. There's a bigger you know, conversation to be had about ethics and, and, and property damage and all that stuff. That's a thing we're not going to get into at the moment. My position on violence is it's only okay for self-defense. But put that aside for a second. Now that there's rioting, now that there's looting, Fox News go, I don't don't, don't
3: understand, bro! Why you don't go and looting? You stopped riding and and, looting! Why don't you peacefully protest? If you peacefully protest, I totally agree with you, bro! I totally agree with you, you peacefully protest, bro! I'd be out there marching with you, bro!
0: No, you wouldn't, because we have the video from, like, what, two years ago now? How long ago was it, three years ago? Where you were like, oh, God, look at this guy! Peacefully protesting unacceptable. Well, when he peacefully protested it, it was unacceptable. When they rioted, it was unacceptable. So what's acceptable? It's almost don't want to talk about the issue. That's the reality of it. You just don't want to talk about the issue because you don't think there is an issue. So they're, they're just such hacks. I'm floored at even me at this late date. I'm, I'm floored at how big of hacks they are, okay? And um, what, what I'll tell everybody is Kaepernick was more right than anybody even realized because the way that you really bring about change, and this was proven through academic research. We just covered it on the show the other day. Somebody studied the Civil Rights Movement for 15 years. Here's what they found. You're more likely to get change when you protest peacefully and the cops are violent against you. Now, I know that sounds terrible because it's like, well, what? We have to deal with abuse in the meanwhile while we're trying to get change? And the short answer is, yeah. Because what happens is you get abused, you're acting peacefully, they look like pieces of garbage, violent maniacs, and then people go, hey, hey, why why are the cops being bad guys and being violent? What are those people protesting for? And then they learn about it, and they go, you know, I'm sympathetic to what they're doing. Now, one of the reasons why people become sympathetic is because they look at people, it, it becomes almost like a movie. You have one side that's pure evil, the police being violent as the protesters are peaceful, and you have the protesters being perfectly peaceful. And with Martin Luther King, it was even to the extent of, no, 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 I'm a pacifist. See, I'm not even in... Total agreement with him, although he is one of my heroes, because I believe in self-defense. Like, if you, you can defend yourself, I think. I think as a matter of principle, you can do that. But really, honestly, if I'm being objective about it, I'm strategically incorrect, because what Martin Luther King did is, no, 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 if you, I believe in Jesus' philosophy. I'm a pacifist. If you hit hit me on this cheek, I'll say here. Hit, Hit me on this one, too. And that made people go, damn, he's definitely right, and they're definitely wrong. So Colin Kaepernick, I think, was even more right than people realized. And history will judge him beyond kindly. He's going to be looked at, I'm telling you, in the same way that Muhammad Ali was looked at. Maybe a little bit different because Muhammad Ali was literally like one of the best ever, period. I don't know if you could call Colin Kaepernick one of the best quarterbacks ever, although he was probably good, but he, history will judge him very, very, very kindly. Because he was. this is exactly what he was trying to say. Hey, man, there's a lot of instances of police brutality going on across the country until we address this i got to take a knee. And judging off everything I've heard him say in interviews, it kind of gets to the point I've been making for a long time, which is to go to the Campaign Zero website, read the policy proposals. If they actually made that law, I genuinely believe Colin Kaepernick would stop taking a knee. I really believe that. All of a sudden, body cameras on every police officer, special prosecutors in all instances of police brutality, civilian review boards, we can go on and on with all the the campaign zero reforms. If you did a bunch of them, he'd stop taking a knee. So he was beyond reasonable. He was totally right. And the final point I'll make is this. This is how you know how full of it they are over at Fox News, okay? And honestly, the right online more generally as well. They loved to, make, to, to claim the mantle of believing in freedom of speech. That was their whole thing. And they invoked it the most when they were dunking on college kids with pink hair who were setting up safe spaces, and they said, hey, listen, you've got to listen to dissenting viewpoints. There's the whole idea of becoming a well-rounded person. We need to believe in freedom of speech as a matter of principle. Forget your safe space. You shouldn't hide from things you don't agree with. That's what they were saying. You know what? I agree with them on that. I think they were right. I think the idea of safe spaces is silly. But they were full of it. They never cared about freedom of speech. They never did. Because what happened with Colin Kaepernick? For those of you who don't remember, Donald Trump put massive pressure on the NFL to do something about what Colin Kaepernick was doing. And so we all know the rest of the story. We all know he was effectively blackballed and out of the NFL. Now, some people claim, oh, it's because he wasn't good enough to be in the NFL. Really? The timing lined up exactly right with when he was protesting and when he was getting a whole bunch of crap for it and when the president was referencing him in his goddamn speeches... We know, of course, they they were linked. Those things were linked. So you have the president of the United States putting pressure on a private company to fire somebody for their freedom of speech, their free protest. Now, this is where conservatives go into the whole, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't technically a free speech issue because they're a private company and they can do whatever, whatever the hell they want, the NFL. That's what they say, right? Remind me what they say about Twitter now? They say the exact opposite. Oh, I don't care that it's a private company. I think people have the right to freedom of speech. They shouldn't be allowed to crack down on people who, you know, they might disagree with politically. Which is it? Does the NFL have the freedom to decide, hey, I don't like what Kaepernick is saying, so let's get rid of them. We're a private company. We could do that. Or... Should we protect people with dissenting opinions, even in private companies? When it comes to Twitter, you say, hey, protect the people with dissenting opinions. When it comes to the NFL, no, 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 don't protect them. Let the owners do what they want. Rank hypocrites. And Fox News didn't even, like, it's one thing to defend Colin Kaepernick on the substance of what he's saying. It's a totally separate thing to say, you know what, I don't agree with the guy, but I do believe in freedom of speech. He shouldn't lose his job because he's speaking up on on a social issue. That's important to him. Nobody even said that. They are charlatan frauds on that network. Don't ever take a word they say seriously. They keep telling you who they are over and over. Believe them. All right, next. I'm not done with Fox News, man. I'm going to Tucker Carlson. So Media Matters put together a little remix of a Tucker Carlson segment on rioters and looters. Now, he's been somewhat surprisingly, I don't know how, I don't know if it's like very surprising. It's a little bit surprising because every now and then he throws a curveball and he's, you know, he's better than the other Fox hosts in that he'll be like, hey, you know what? War is bad. (laughs) And people are like, whoa, whoa, wow. He believes that very, very banal but reasonable thing. That's interesting. Sometimes on trade he does that too. But a lot of the times he's a standard Republican. And on this one, I thought this was a little bit surprising. He went full-on law and order, authoritarian, let's not get to the root of what the protesters are mad about. Or look at his commentary on... Now, he's talking about rioters and looters. He's talking about what he views as like these, these um, groups of Antifa thugs. But look at the brilliant job that Media Matters did, splicing this together with a lot of the police brutality that's been happening over the past few days.
5: Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. First, they smashed the windows, and our elected leaders said nothing. Before long, it grew. Mobs of menacing young men formed in the streets. They were clearly intense on violence, but no one in authority dared criticize them. And so the mobs grew larger, and they grew emboldened. They did this in the name of justice. Still, our leaders did nothing. Most of them never even mentioned it, like it never happened. Did you watch that? How many more nights like this can we take? Who will enforce the law? Who will be in charge? Well, violent young men with guns will be in charge. They will make the rules, including the rules in your neighborhood. They will do what they want. You will do what they say.
3: But stupid. Shut up. That's
5: stupid no one will stop them. You will not want to live here when that happens.
0: That's just so well done. So there's a bunch to say about this. I'll start with the obvious point. State violence isn't moral by definition. This is something that Tucker and his ilk seem to understand when there's violence targeted against right-wing groups, individuals, protesters. They understand it then, like, oh, okay, wait, hold on now. The government isn't right by definition. State violence isn't magically on some higher moral plane. That's just not the case. He's criticized the Iraq war before. So he obviously understands just because the government is doing something doesn't make it right. Just because we have uniforms and we're invading a foreign country doesn't mean that you know, we're correct because we're wearing the uniforms and we appear to be a lot more official or whatever. So, a badge and a gun and a uniform doesn't make you right. But now he seems to kind of be falling into that trap. It's the, you know, Alonzo from the movie Training Day trap, where, uh, amazing performance by Denzel, by the way. But um, the mindset is hey, listen, I am the law. So, whatever I do is okay because I am the law. So, that's a terrifying mindset and just so everybody understands that the police brutality, they showed in this clip with Tucker, this is not even scratching the surface dog. We played a compilation on our show the other day, Jordan, you will put it together and it was, um, it was something else. But since then he's continued to pump out the compilations of police violence and you would be floored as to how much there is, where they're unquestionably initiating the violence against peaceful people, without a doubt. So there are so many instances of that happening. Guys, one of the things they're flat-out bragging about, there was somebody on video asking an officer, I don't know if it was in New York or D.C. or wherever it was, but the person says, what happens if we're out here past curfew? And the cop says, we're going to beat the fuck out of you. And then they did! And then they did. The second that it was past curfew, all of a sudden the cops initiate violence on completely peaceful protesters. Now, you could say, hey, they should have abided by the curfew. But just so you understand, the curfews in and of themselves are very controversial. And U.S. courts are actually split on whether or not they're even constitutional. So, you know, it's very like since. He's falling in line with the standard right-wing viewpoint, which is, let's be authoritarian, let's bring back law and order. And in the process of bringing back law and order, by the way, the president of the United States is threatening to eliminate law and order by ignoring the First Amendment and the Constitution. That's the supreme law of the land. So you can't say, like, I'm the law and order guy. It's like how Trump defended torture on the campaign trail in the same breath as saying I'm the law and order guy. You can't say you're the law and order guy as you're saying, I believe in torture. Torture is against the law. So, again, but you see the mindset. The mindset is, no, 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 whatever we do is right because we got the badges, we got the uniforms. And we think we're on the right side. So, and that's the path to hell. As soon as you define yourself as the good person by definition, as soon as you do that, then you can rationalize and excuse away the worst crimes and actions. Because you've already decided, I mean well, I'm the good guy. So, therefore, when I do it, it's okay because it's different. But it's not. It's not. It's those tactics that are bad in and of themselves, which is why I think you need to be principled in your stance against any kind of offensive violence. But um, the beating people past curfew was just tough to watch, and there's been a lot of police brutality. And he's totally unconcerned about that, and he's only talking about, like, I honestly would respect conservatives at least, pulling a both-sides thing. I know it's easy to mock the both side stuff, but if a conservative goes out there and says, hey, I'm against the rioting, I'm against the looting, of course, but I'm also against the police brutality, I can respect that. But what Tucker's doing is the whole, you know, look at these look at these bands of thugs who are rioting and looting. We need to restore law and order. And it just so happens that it's easy to put, show what the cops are doing there, and the rant makes sense in that context as well, now, doesn't it? So final point I'll make is this, and I've made this already, but I'm going to keep bringing it up because I think it's super important. You need to, instead of saying, hey, the government has a crisis of legitimacy, and police brutality sparked that crisis of legitimacy, so let's respond to that by doing more police brutality, further proving the point that we're illegitimate, instead of doing that, what should have been done is the exact opposite which is, okay, obviously George Floyd was the spark that led to these protests. Their main concern is police brutality at the moment. So let's bring up a police brutality bill. Let's have Trump propose or Nancy Pelosi pass through the House. Here's a bill, body cameras on all cops. They can't turn them off under penalty of law, ever. They have to stay on. Here's the bill, community oversight boards for policing all across the country. Here's a bill, special prosecutors in every single instance of police brutality so you don't have the game rigged where prosecutors who know the cops kind of let them off. If George Floyd was the spark that led to the protests, and now we have everybody who killed George Floyd is arrested and they're being charged and Keith Ellison is handling the case. So that's, we're awaiting justice on that front, okay? So you have that and then you also substantively address police brutality, then you have a reasonable case to make to people where you say, listen, I'm still with you if you want to peacefully protest and demand other things, sure. But the rioting and the looting, no, no, no. We're addressing your concern, see? We're doing it right here. But they don't want to do that. And by the way, I would argue that George Floyd was the spark that got everybody in the streets, but there's a deeper underlying pain that is leading to people snapping and that pain is the fact that we have a pandemic and we have an economic depression over 20 percent unemployment wages are super low like yeah people need ubi because we didn't nationalize payroll like we should have people need ubi people need medicare for all like address the root causes to fix the problem double down on police brutality when you're up against protests that are calling out police brutality The fact that they don't see this is insanity. So, you know, it's just pathetic. Like, it's just pathetic. This is not getting the kind of intelligent analysis that's needed. Instead, you have Tucker and Fox News people and a lot of people on the right immediately falling into line with their absurd position. All right, next. So economist Gabriel Zuckman tweeted a chart the other day that I think really perfectly encapsulates this moment in history and and how we got here. So you can see here The U.S. government spending on police, prison, and law courts versus spending on cash and quasi-cash welfare from 1970 to 2018. So there was a time where the spending on law enforcement and cash assistance, welfare for people, was roughly the same. And then there was a giant split that started in the Reagan era and has continued ever since. And now, you see, there's way more money spent on public order than on welfare. And unsurprisingly, the chickens have come home to roost. Now, people would say, yeah, but the crime rate dropped in that time span. Okay, but how do you account for what's happening right this moment? Right this moment where there's been every year there's been high-profile cases of police brutality and killing usually of unarmed black men, but it's not always black men. It's everybody who's you know, in an unfortunate economic situation. They certainly aren't treating Wall Street people like this. So how do you account for that? We spent all this money on, on law and order, and then now we have an instance where law and order is completely breaking down. How do you explain that? Well, I would argue... One of the reasons why we're at this point is, yes, George Floyd was the spark. Police brutality was the spark. But people only snap when they've hit their breaking point. And there's a lot of pain and misery underlying what led to getting everybody out in the street. So imagine we had a system where we had Medicare for all, we had free college, we had a living wage we had a universal basic income, we had a Scandinavian-style social democracy that sets a reasonable floor for people where nobody's living in abject poverty and degradation. In a system like that that's more responsive to the people, you don't hit your breaking point. Now, you absolutely need to address what's going on with policing and you absolutely need to implement the campaign zero reforms and you need to Every single bad cop in the country should be fired. Whatever percentage you want to say that is of the police force, and we could argue over that all day, the conservatives will say it's a lower percentage, lefties will say it's a higher percentage, all of them should be fired and gone. But the point is, you don't get to this point unless the groundwork has been laid to get us to this point. And the groundwork is, fuck the people, look at what happened with the corona bailout bill. The government rushed in and said, hey, how about we give $5 trillion to wealthy corporations, have no oversight, let Goldman Sachs, Lackey, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, determine where the money goes. So they're swimming in cash. They have. We fully implemented corporate socialism, and at the same time, people got crumbs. And the second that they allow evictions and foreclosures, we're going to have a crisis of evictions and foreclosures. We have over 20% unemployment. We have up to 43 million more Americans who are going to lose their health insurance because their health insurance is tied to their jobs, which they no longer have. The system has fallen apart. People do not have a chance at success. When you don't have a chance at success, when you have no hope for the future, and then you see the cops willy-nilly murdering somebody who's not a threat to them, you know what happens? people snap. That's what happens. So in order to substantively address this, the last thing you should ever do is respond to a police brutality crisis with more police brutality. That's exactly what's happening now. What you need to do is Medicare for all, UBI, address the grievances, do campaign zeros reforms, at least some of them, at least some of them, and that absolutely would quell what's going on. It's really annoying that we're getting to this point now. And the response in the discourse is that very few people are actually bringing up what's really at the root of all of this. Cornell West is doing it. I'm sure Killer Mike is doing it. There are people on the left who are doing it. But in mainstream discourse, really the entire conversation is, how do we stop the violence? And by the way, they only focus on the violence of the rioters and looters. The police brutality violence, that not in the conversation almost at all you only see it in lefty circles and the police brutality angle is a big part of it the whole the spark as to why we're out there so anyway um here we are there are answers there are solutions but instead they're going to go down the wrong path and exacerbate it and make it even worse Okay, next. In the midst of all of this madness going on in the country right now, the new depression, COVID-19, police brutality, and now the backlash to that and the protests and the riots, um, The Intercept is reporting on something here that's completely on the back burner, but in any reasonable point in history, it would be a large part of the conversation. So they say 115 civilians died in just 10 airstrikes in the U.S. war in Afghanistan in the last two years. More than 70 of them were children. That's the finding of a new investigation by the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, or TBIJ, which offers a glimpse into the terrible reality of the conflict in Afghanistan. The strikes that the investigation focused on, conducted by the U.S. military and the U.S.-backed Afghan Air Force, represent just a handful of the total number of bombings during the period. TBIJ crowdsourced information on, on particular strikes, then worked with an Al Jazeera film crew who traveled to Afghanistan to meet some of the survivors, confirming civilian casualties in some instances, when the U.S. government had not admitted to them. Wow, shocking. The 10 airstrikes analyzed in their report took place between 2018 and 2019. The fact that over 60% of those who died in the bombings were children reflects Afghanistan's overwhelmingly young population and a culture in which large families tend to live together in big housing compounds. Now, this is the part that really, I, you know, just, this should keep you up at night if you're a sane person. The U.S. military has dropped tens of thousands of bombs on Afghanistan since it began um, occupying the country in 2001. This violence has escalated escalated rather than decreased even with the official end of the combat mission there in 2014 with the number of munitions dropped on the country hitting an annual record of 7,423 last year. So let's understand this. 60% of the people who died in the airstrikes that they studied and and really detailed and got the information on in a way that's, you know, wonderful investigative journalism. 60% of the dead were kids. And last year, just last year, just last year, there were a total of 7,423 bombs dropped on Afghanistan. So you do the math on that. Let's assume it stays reasonably similar. Actually, you know what? Let's be kind to the government and say that it's not 60% of, like, most or all of these airstrikes that are killing kids. Let's say it's 40%.
2: Think about that, man.
0: Think about that. Why are we dropping 7,423 bombs on Afghanistan last year? By the way, we're still there, we're still in Iraq, we're still in Afghanistan. Do me a favor. Define victory for me. The whole point they said of going into Iraq was, we got to get Saddam Hussein. He was responsible for 9-11. First of all, he wasn't. Second of all, he's been dead for a long time. What are you talking about? Afghanistan, what did they say? Yeah, we got to go after Osama bin Laden. He also attacked us on 9-11. Now, that's true. He did attack us on 9-11. He's also been dead for a long time. We just casually were we'll just stay. We'll stay. We'll stay. Guys, we covered polls on the show. This, this is going back to 20, like 2013 or something. It was only 18% of the country that wanted to stay in Afghanistan. We're still there today. Today. No goals. No ideas to what victory is. Killing 60% civilians. 7,423 bombs last year. Do that, but beyond that, all these resources. And they're telling us, hey, we're going to bail out corporations, $5 trillion because of COVID-19, full corporate socialism, military-industrial complex all day long. Let's fund the bombing of innocent children. And by the way, you want UBI and Medicare for all? How <laughs> about you fuck off? <laughs> this is our system. And as I just pointed out before, guys, nobody's talking about this. Credit to Murtaza Hussein over at The Intercept for highlighting this. Nobody's talking about this. 7,423 bombs we dropped on Afghanistan last year long. What happened? Don- Donald Trump was like, oh, we got to get out of Afghanistan. This is stupid. Why are we there? He even announced it on Twitter like a year and a half ago. And then his advisor was like, ha-ha, that's a good one. We're staying. And he was like, okay, I guess we're staying. Why is it that no matter who's in power, the military-industrial complex, Wall Street crooks, business as usual, the status quo, Keeps churning along. Nothing seems to change. 7,423 bombs. So, to add on to my tweet that went viral the other day. Pat myself on the back there. Suck myself off if I could, but I'm not that flexible. (laughs) The 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. The Great Depression. The tumultuous 1960s. And the war in Vietnam. All at the same time. That's what we have except in this instance, obviously, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and the eight countries that were bombing. The 1918 Spanish flu pandemic is COVID-19. The tumultuous 1960s is the police brutality and the backlash and the protests and the riots. History slapping us in the face. And then on top of all that, I saw last night on Twitter, you know what was trending? Hashtag earthquake, hashtag tornado warning. There's a tornado warning in, I think it was Philly, and there was an earthquake in... California, thank God, not the San Andreas, not not the San Andreas fault, but there was a 5.5 earthquake, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, religious, spiritual, any of that stuff, but goddamn, everything happening all at once is starting to feel like somebody's mad at us, you know what I'm saying, we dropped 7,423 bombs on Afghanistan last year, for what, for what, we're killing 60% kids. You know what that's called when the rest of the world looks at what we're doing in that instance? Terrorism. Now, you could say to yourself all day long, well, we don't mean to kill the kids, so it's different. Even if I grant you that point, okay, so we're guilty of manslaughter and not murder. But beyond that, my response to you is, it's one thing if you mess up once and kill civilians. It's one thing if you mess up even twice. Somebody can be inclined to be open-minded, and say, you know what, an accident's an accident. You've been there since 2001! Iraq, 2003! There was just a story a couple years ago, the bombing of the Kunduz Hospital, remember that? We bombed a hospital in Afghanistan. What argument are you even making to the people of Afghanistan? Listen, we need to stay there to protect you From the Taliban who will probably do something crazy like bomb your hospitals or something. That's what we did. That's what we did. So the point is, again, I've made this argument before to the people who want to harp away on just the intentions angle of the argument. You hop in your car to go to work. You run over an innocent person and you kill him. (gasps) Now, chances are you're probably going to get brought up on manslaughter charges and you're going to get found guilty. Okay, but let's say, for whatever reason, they say, no, no, no. He sincerely, genuinely didn't mean it, and the family is very forgiving and is begging them not to press charges, and so they didn't press charges, and whatever. Okay, Wouldn't happen, but let's say that happened. But then next week, you hop in your car and you run over somebody again. And then the week after that, you hop in your car and you run over somebody again. And then the week after that, you do the same thing. At some point... I don't give a fuck about what you say your intentions are. I don't care. You keep doing it. That's the U.S. government. That's our imperialist wars. Even if you want to view it through the most kind, objective, open-minded, pro-U.S. mindset, that's the best argument you could come up with. So, here we are. And this isn't even getting mentioned, like I said. With all the chaos and everything that's going on, this isn't, nobody's talk, I'm the only person talking about this, literally. And Maz, Murtaza Hussein. It would be nice if everything wasn't falling apart. It would be nice if we could get some victories. We could get change some things for the better. So what I say is everybody put on a mask and social distance because we still have a pandemic. But by all means, if you're going to go out in the streets, go out in the streets. Be peaceful. Don't riot. Don't loot. But more bodies out there, the better. We send a message. And we need strong national leadership in order to really get change. That's why I called on Cornell West and Killer Mike to kind of fill that void. They have the moral clarity and the legitimacy and the standing, particularly in the black community, in order to have their voices heard and really lead us in a positive way. So, but we got to change this stuff, man. Everything is falling apart. All right, next. Next, 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 next. I have another terrible story to add to the mix. It's This is from The Independent. They say, Ebola, four dead after new outbreak in Congo. Governor calls for calm and advises people not to touch ill or dead people who had a fever or bleeding. 2020 will not give us a break, will not give us a break. Somebody I follow on Twitter, Michael, his, his, uh, his account is at Bernie would have won. Wooda He tweeted the other day, here's what 2020 has given us. And he went through a list. I think it started with Trump assassinating willy-nilly an Iranian general and bringing us to the brink of a new hot war. Started with that. Then Kobe Bryant died. Then, I don't know exactly what he put after that. It might've been COVID-19 was the next thing he put after that. Then it's like economic depression. Then it's George Floyd being murdered and then complete social unrest, protests, but also riots and looting. Then I just covered the story. We dropped 7,420 some odd bombs on Afghanistan killing 60% children. And the ones that were studied, there were like 10 or 15 airstrikes studied um, and it was 60% children that we killed. We're learning that we're still in Iraq. We're still in Afghanistan. We had an earthquake yesterday in California, 5.5, not the San Andreas, thank God. And now we're learning four dead from Ebo- We got a new Ebola outbreak. We got a new Ebola outbreak. And on top of all this, Trump said the other day in a speech, yeah, I want to deploy the U.S. military on U.S. streets to stop looters and rioters. You can't deploy the U.S. military on U.S. streets. That's martial law. That's a dictatorship. You ignoring the First Amendment and the Constitution. That's what that is. That saying, I'm effectively gonna That's not going to exist. Talk to people in the military. They say, we're trained to kill, bro. We're not supposed to handle things domestically. I mean, you shouldn't even be killing overseas because it should only be in cases of self-defense as a last resort. But, like, going to deploy them in the U.S. domestically? All this, everything is just falling apart. It's just hitting us and hitting us and hitting us. It's so bad that when you read that there's an Ebola outbreak, my reaction was like, oh, like, it's almost, I'm so numb inside now that you could throw almost anything at me. Although, to be fair, no, there were some things that pierced through. But, like, honestly, 92% of things that I look at that really impact other people, I'm like, yeah, well, what would you expect? (laughs) Like, that's where we're at right now. Oh, boy, it's rough. It is rough. Now, thankfully, I don't know, this isn't, like, great news, but Ebola is a lot less contagious than even COVID-19. Now, Ebola is a lot more dangerous. If you get it, you're much more likely to die than if you get COVID-19. But COVID-19 spreads a lot easier. Ebola, you literally have to come into contact with, like, the bodily fluids of somebody who's passed from Ebola. So it's a lot harder to spread. But that's cold comfort, dog. That's cold comfort right there. Because... What is happening? 2020 is slapping us in the face and shitting down our throats. That's a gross visual. But that's what's happening. 2020 is... There was a time when I was a kid where I thought... I thought that we had evolved past war as human beings. After learning about like World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, and then at the time I didn't know of any wars. I was a kid, and it was like the early in the Clinton administration or something like that. And I was like, oh, we don't, so we don't have wars anymore. Like that's we defeated that. Now look at everything going on. (laughs) Not only do we have wars, but everything else about society is falling apart. So. God damn it, Bernie, why didn't you win? Oh! I have no positive note to end this story on. So, we can end the video now. All right, next. An interesting rebellion is taking place at Facebook, and I want to share with you. This is in Mediaite. They say, dozens of Facebook employees reportedly took the day off from work on Monday in order to protest against the social network's decision to leave President Donald Trump's post uncensored. According to the New York Times, protesting employees took the day off by logging into Facebook systems and requesting time off to support protesters across the country and added an automated message to their email saying that they were out of the office in a show of protest. The group is one of many clusters of employees attempting to push back on executives the times noted adding that many employees continue to discuss a list of demands for management unlike twitter which censored and hid the president and hid president trump's when the looting starts the shooting starts tweet last week facebook decided to leave the same post on its platform untouched though ceo mark zuckerberg did reportedly raise concerns over trump's tone and rhetoric during a subsequent phone call with the president so they explain, they go on to explain, like, okay, listen, the reason why we're doing this is because Mark Zuckerberg said, calls for violence are not part of free speech, and if there's calls for violence, I will take action. And they're saying, well, this is a call for violence, and he didn't take action, so he's a liar. So we want Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg to censor what the president said. I guess in a similar way to what Twitter did, which Twitter didn't really censor it. They just kind of hit it and said, you know, you could click through to view it if you want, but there's like a, this violates our blah, 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 blah thing there. And then you click through and then it shows you what he said. Um, I really don't understand why this is the main thing that they're concerned about because it's the president of the United States. And let's say Twitter and Facebook censor it. Every single news organization has a duty to report what the president said about that. The president of the United States of America is threatening to shoot looters in the streets of America. Do I agree with the president? Hell no. Hell no. But do I want to know that that's what he said? Yes. Yes. I'd like to know that my president is, is threatening people in the streets of America, looters, riders, whatever you want to call them, I'd like to know that. That's obviously a news story. What Trump says is by definition a news story. Now, we might not like that, but it's what it is. Like, that's what it is. Now, I get it. Totally a double standard between, like, usually people of prominence or people who are part of governments get a lot more leeway to do violent threats than random people, and there should be one standard about, you know, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. But my understanding is that a threat of violence has to be very specific. It, and this is the way it works, by the way, just to be clear, under U.S. case law. So you're allowed to do like almost like vague general threats, but you're not allowed. It can't be a specific threat of violence. You can't say to somebody like, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, you, or find this person. This is their address, whatever. You, you know, Go do violence against them. Meet me at this place at this time, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z and commit a crime or whatever. Those are like direct threats of violence. To say when the looting starts, the shooting starts, it's disgusting, it's grotesque, it's quoting a 1960s segregationist, as was pointed out by many news outlets, but it's not specific enough to say we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to block it or whatever. And then also, like I said, even if it was specific enough in that instance, then news outlets have a duty to report on that. So I just, I find it, it's like misplaced rage in my opinion. It's misplaced rage. You know, I actually agree with Mark Zuckerberg in this sense that when he said the whole point of a social media company is not like we don't curate, we don't filter, we don't censor, we don't edit, we don't – that's not what we do. That's not what we do. We're functionally a message board. There could be a communist or an anarchist that comes and, and defends property violence in general terms. That should be allowed to stay up. There can be a far-right person, like Tom Cotton, who's just calling for let's deploy the military in U.S. streets, and like Trump just called for. And they go on there, and they rant in favor of that. Listen, that's rank authoritarianism. That's unconstitutional. But it's also not something you could pull somebody's comment down for. So you have far-right opinions. You have far-left opinions. The whole point of social media companies is we're the middleman. We're the medium. We're the message board. We got no stake in what anything anybody says on the platform. Only in the rarest instances of direct threats of violence do we act and, you know, maybe doxing and stuff like that. But outside of that, we're not, we're not in the business of looking through it, bro. We don't even have the manpower to look through all of it. Are you crazy? There's not enough manpower on planet Earth to do that. So that's what Mark Zuckerberg said. I agree with that. I don't know why people are begging social media companies to be something they're not. And here's the main point, guys. It will 100% come back to bite you. And I mean this even to the Facebook people who protested. They think they're standing up for what's righteous and what's just. And I understand their instinct in this instance, because what Trump said is egregiously evil and wrong. But once you start censoring deplatforming, there is no end to it. And it's the slipperiest of all slippery slopes. And we're already seeing the effects of that in other ways on other platforms. Oh, you're censoring this right-wing you know, person. Well, then... The right is going to argue, well, there's a double standard. We need to stop the double standard. Here's some left-wing person who's vaguely in agreement with the burning down of a a police precinct, because that's what they did, or somebody called cops pigs or whatever. You're not going to take that down. That's not hate speech. That's not a call for violence where you're agreeing with burning down a precinct. That's not incentivizing it for the future. So in other words, there's no such thing as a little bit of censorship. It always spreads far and wide, and this is what the Constitution is about. This is what the First Amendment is about. This is what freedom of speech is about. It understands that it's never just about this one particular issue. It's about all the other things that come about as a result of it. It's about what precedent it sets. So I know they mean well, but really – and I respect the fact that they're out there protesting, but really – you're begging this company to do something that it certainly should not do. And also, I'd say, if Facebook were to do what these people are asking for it, then Trump would be right to take away their liability shield. Because right now you can't sue social media companies if somebody says something crazy on a social media platform under the logic of we're just a middleman. But the second they start censoring and filtering and curating and editing, well, then all of a sudden... Now you're no longer a social media company. Now you're more of a, in a, a news outlet or some, some sort of middle ground between a message board and a, and a news outlet. And so why, should you, why shouldn't people be able to sue you if you're going to be able to edit their stuff and censor their stuff? Of course they should be able to. So Trump would be right on that front. He did that with Twitter. So I think there's people who want to do well. And they mean well, but they're just missing the mark as to how you actually improve society. You want to improve society? You're right to join the protest. But, like, yes, go out there. Call for body cameras on all cops, no exception. Call for, you know, civilian review boards of the police. Call for special prosecutors and investigators in all instances of police brutality. This is what you call for. Get out there and fight for your economic rights and end and the wars. And, like, this is how you fix society. It's not by... I would like social media to do more censorship because I'll feel better. What Trump says is by definition newsworthy, and if Facebook and Twitter, even if they totally censored it, it would still be in the New York Times, it would still be in the Washington Post, it would still be everywhere. So it's like you effectively want to cover your eyes and cover your ears and say, la, 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 I don't like it, so it's not there. kind of childish. And I mean that with all due respect, but it really is. So, you know, I would love to see the day when people stop begging mommy and daddy for censorship. Because that's never going to end well. And I genuinely don't think that these people understand that. I really think that they think we can control the beast. Yes, let's censor, but only censor in the right instances. Only censor at the proper times. Only on the fringes. Only in the margins. Only when I don't like it. Well, I got news for you. If you start censoring, there's a lot of people who would want to censor me. I mean, YouTube already is kind of doing it in a weird way, roundabout way, effectively by delegitimizing me in the algorithm and making it harder for new people to find this, this outlet. Like, it will always come back to bite you in the ass, because it always does. All right, final story. So I think that this story is interesting given everything that's going on. Virginia governor to announce a removal of Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond. Robert E. Lee, of course, Confederate general. Um, I think this will lead to like a Charlottesville backlash where you had, um, you know, Richard Spencer and his ilk out there chanting Jews will not replace us in white lives matter because that's what they were protesting then too. They didn't want the removal of a Confederate statue. And by the way, notice Trump said there's fine people on both sides for that. He didn't say fine people on both sides for the George Floyd protest. Interesting. He only focused on the looters and the riders. So this is interesting and I'm happy that they're doing it. I think it's a good thing. I don't I get the argument from the conservatives, like, what do you mean it's history? Okay, I agree, it's history. Put it in a museum. Put it in a museum. I'm not in favor of, like, erasing it and whatever. No, put it in a museum, where it belongs. That's what I think. But let's not kid ourselves about what it represents. Like, if you have it in public spaces, that's funded by tax dollars. Minorities pay taxes, too. Minorities are paying taxes for a statue of somebody who thought they weren't even human. It's kind of like, and I know people will say this is a stretch, this is going too far, it's Godwin's law, whatever the hell you want to say. But I say it because it's, I think it's true. You don't put up a statue to Himmler in Germany and then say, it's, well, it's just history. We just want to, you know, make sure that we have a record of what happened in the 1940s. You don't do that. You don't do that. Everybody seems to understand, like, oh, no, 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 see, what they represented was bad. Pretty universally understood it was bad. Honestly, the Confederates as well, what they represented was bad. We can say that with all certainty. (laughs) Like, yes, when you're fighting to preserve slavery, that's very bad. There's a whole lot of people trying to, like, kind of whitewash that history a little bit and act like, no, 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 it's about states' rights. States' rights for what? To keep people as property. (laughs) That was the whole point. So we can say unequivocally that that's bad. So if we agree that that's bad, you don't put up statues to things that are bad, you can put it in a museum. So, I, you know, I get where the conservatives are coming from, but I think that in the midst of making their case, they're denying things that are undeniably true. It is undeniably true that the Confederacy was wrong. What they stood for was evil and barbaric. And you can't just gloss over that by saying, blah, history. If, even if I concede your point, put it in a museum. So that's, I, I wanna make that point, but beyond that, beyond that, I don't want this to be the only thing that comes out of what happened to George Floyd and these protests, because here's a problem that we've been dealing with for a long time in politics. Most of the time we get no movement in the right direction. I mean, we've been in paralysis mode for a long time now. You know, Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are terrible. Donald Trump is actively going in the wrong direction. They're corrupt, they're stupid, all that stuff. But it's like the first things they're willing to concede on as soon as the public pressure hits a boiling point, notice something. The first thing they're willing to concede on is what? The optics and the show of it all. So what did Nancy Pelosi do? She marched with protesters. That's what she did. She marched with protesters for George Floyd. Now you have the Virginia governor saying we're going to pull down the you know Confederate statues. Okay, look, that's all fine and dandy. But if you think that's enough, you got another thing coming. Because Nancy Pelosi did not bring up a bill in the House of Representatives to put body cameras on all police, no exceptions, at penalty of law. She did not come up with a bill to have community oversight of all police. She did not come up with a bill for special prosecutors in all instances of police brutality. She didn't do that. So in other words... They oftentimes do the show stuff to stop doing the substantive policy changes. Now, I'm not saying this is just a show, because I think it's a little more important than that for, you know, for the black community. I mean, you know, imagine having a statue of somebody who wanted you enslaved up casually in a public square. Like, yeah, I think that's more than just symbolism. Anywhere near enough. And I think we should focus more on reforming the police in a substantive way, because then we will stop the next George Floyd from happening. It's very possible, take down the Robert E. Lee statue, not only will it not reduce far-right violence, it might increase it. So to stop the far-right violence, but also, more importantly, to stop the police brutality, which was the whole point of this case, it needs to substantively be addressed and not just through symbolism. And this is symbolism here. That's all this is. So... And by the way, listen, I'm I'm a First Amendment absolutist. Everybody knows that. If you have private individuals in this country who want to, you know, wave a Confederate flag, who want to put up their own Robert E. Lee statue, do I disagree with that person and think they're a terrible person? Yeah. Do we have the legal authority to take down their flag or their statue that they put up on their private property of these people? No. So that's how much I believe in the First Amendment. You're technically allowed to do that. Government can't stop you. That crosses a line if they try to stop you. But when it comes to these in the public square, no. Should not be up. Definitely take them down. But let's not get sidetracked and get lost in symbolism because I fear a lot of people do get lost in symbolism. They see a little symbolic gesture, and it's like, oh, well, that's wonderful. Let's go home now. No, 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 no. That's not enough. And I think that point needs to be made in a clear way. All right, guys, we're done, donezo. I love you, baby. Everybody stay safe. Everybody keep socially distancing and wearing a mask. And if you're protesting, God bless you, but be as safe as humanly possible. Don't uh, do any violence and just cross your fingers and hope that the cops don't actively assault you. So anyway, I love you guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace